BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. It's 11.50 p.m. in the snowy autumnal forest of Kuruizawa. And you're listening to Night Call. Welcome to Night Call, a podcast for your strange days and lonely nights. My name is Emily Yoshida. I am in New York, and with me on the other end of the line on the other coast are Molly Lambert and Tess Lynch. Hey. Hey, gang. Hey, Hi gang. Guys. Getting back in the groove still. Yeah. Welcome welcome back again, still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll always be celebrating We're your always, return. Every week. I'm always returning. You're back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the eternal return. <laughs> uh, give us a call, guys, at 240-46-NIGHT. You can also text us at the same number or email us at nightcallpodcast at gmail. No topic is too weird. Well, some are. And but that's okay. We screen those out. So go nuts. Yeah. We'll, we'll, Pers- we'll just group chat about them. They won't Personal make it to advice. the air necessarily, but... Yeah. yeah, but some of them will. But we'll never make fun of you for asking like a question. No, Absolutely and you can be not. anonymous. Yeah, you can always be anonymous. Ask us stuff or tell us things that you think we'll be interested in. So we all were very, very sad, as was pretty much all of L.A. and many people who enjoyed the writing of Jonathan Gold to find that he had passed away Um this past weekend, by the time you listen to this, the news will be a week old. But um, Jonathan Gold meant a lot to each of us. I think we all had kind of different personal connections to him and his writing. And he was 
one of um, the most, if not the most talented food writer. He was, uh, he had his beginnings as a music writer at LA Weekly. And he was also just a very generous uh, person when it came to encouraging younger writers. Um, I was looking through my old G chats and I found one with Molly from 10 years ago when she was telling me that Jonathan Gold had gotten in touch with her. And uh, we were all kind of like scrambling for jobs and it meant so much. And I was like, who's Jonathan Gold? It was so weird reading a G-chat from 10 years ago because I didn't know. I mean, I was like on some level aware we could do that. But you were like, hey, here's the G-chat from when you were going to meet Jonathan at a restaurant to have lunch. And you were so nervous that I was reading it. I was like, this is very weird. Also weird Uh that the chat mentioned Mamma Mia and (laughs) turtles and Molly saved a turtle from crossing the road that same day. But that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) Molly, I want to know how how you first got in touch with Jonathan and how you got that connection. He's um, a family friend of my friend Vanessa's. And she told me that she had been at a dinner with him. Her family and his family had dinner together a lot. And that she had mentioned me and he had been like, oh, you know Molly Lambert? I was like, why? how does he know who I am? Um, <laughs> but he read my old blog, this recording, um, wow. which was really cool. And, you know, I was doing it for free. So it was obviously, like, very gratifying to hear that somebody who was a huge hero of mine, like, liked what I was doing at all. And it really, like, gave me a lot of, it, it pushed me through just, like, several more years of, like, not getting paid to write. Because I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully I'm doing something that, like, somebody will want someday. No, like um, professional acceptance from the people just, you look up to can really, best. yeah. I mean, he's such, like, a sweet person yeah. and so generous. And, like, a lot of people have said this, but, like, he and Lori Ochoa, who was the editor of the LA Weekly for a really long time, were just, like, so welcoming to yeah. young writers, which is, like, not how most people are at all, you know? Yeah. yeah. They were so, like, genuinely interested in, like, nurturing people's talent and like encouraging people to write about things they were actually interested in. Um, And one of the things that sucks so bad about the LA Weekly getting bought by this right wing company and firing everybody and becoming sort of a zombie version of itself is like there are really just no local publications left in LA that cover the kinds of things that like Jonathan Gold covered, you know, and there are lots of great writers in LA that you know, want to write about L.A. and have things to say and maybe don't have a place to do that because there's so much national news. It's like, you know, very difficult to get people to care about local stories, but local news is so important. And I feel like what made him such a great voice was that it was so local and so specific. Yeah. I mean, between him and Laurie, I feel like if there was enough of a nurturing, if there was enough like funding and just like enough space, then you could even easily imagine many more kind of mentors and editors and just just like I don't know uh intellectual I don't even know what you would call what they it's do just, they're just like the people who who care about yeah. writers in Los Angeles and want there to be a really strong community and tradition of of writing about Los Angeles whether right. you're actually doing reporting or if you're writing about culture or food or anything And there's something about that where maybe it's because there's less of us or the people that are really competitive and petty or you're all like only trying to make TV and film you know yeah. but like there's something about just journalism in Los Angeles where it's like everybody because we're so spread out everyone just like bands together and <laughs> encourages yeah. each other Yeah uh, you know, and it, and it's nice. And I have met a lot of people doing the Boycott LA Weekly stuff, um, a lot of great writers and people like 
Jeff Weiss, obviously, who I've known for a yeah. long time, who covers local rap in L.A. and a lot of stuff that ends up becoming a big story later, you mm-hmm. know, because nothing starts as like a big story. Things start right. as like people start locally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Catherine Spires. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Spires, who was the food reviewer after Jonathan Gold in the mm-hmm. L.A. Weekly, who I think is just like brilliant and yeah. a mm-hmm. great writer. And there's all these people and there's just no publications uh, serving that need. And yeah, I think we all just probably grew up thinking of like, oh, it'd be great to work at a magazine and have like a magazine family, you know, like a Mary Tyler Moore Mm -hmm. thing of just like a group of people that are all interested in what each other are doing and... And competitive you know, in like a healthy way that is good for the greater good of, right, of yeah. the work like not, everybody's doing. Right. Competitive in a like you want to be better because your peers are doing so well, not in a like you don't want anyone to succeed because exactly. then yeah. you can't way, which is like, you know, what a lot of things feel like because everything's so bad in journalism. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to ask if you guys had any favorite Jonathan Gold reviews or pieces or moments or anything like or when you first discovered him. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I grew up reading him in the weekly and getting the weekly was like a religious experience, you know, like it would come out. It was before the Internet, before I think there were just calendars even for things. You know, I would go look through show listings and be like, Someday I'll be old enough to get into these clubs. <laughs> <laughs> Believably. And too soon you were. <laughs> um, even then I was still excited about it. Yeah. I was like, cool. You know, I would like cut out the schedules and put them on my wall. But yeah, I would just like devour the whole thing. You know, I would yeah. read the alt comics and the back page classifieds and all the phone sex lo- yeah. ads. Yeah. Well, for just me, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, for me, having moved there, not growing up with the weekly, but it being there... When I moved at 17 years old and being a college student and also really not having that much money, there's a lot to be said for reading you can do and journalism you can read and and any kind of writing that was free. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. but it was, I mean, just the whole alt weekly model has obviously kind of collapsed, you know, and part of it is because, you know, somebody was saying they were like, journalism's not dying, like rich people are killing it. Right. It's not yeah. passively dying. People, People are going still out want of their all way. that stuff. People still yeah. want to know about shows and places to eat. There's obviously a huge audience for that. People spend yeah. tons of money on that stuff every year. It's just that on a local level, it's not being valued or it's not it's not going to make you a billion dollars. So well, it's therefore, like, it's not considered worth anything. Yeah. I mean, news newsroom resources are spread so thin and there's so much there's such a glut of national news that people don't want to cover local news because they have to cover the national news. But, you know, like there was a big uh, news story in L.A. yesterday with a hostage situation at a Trader Joe's. That was it was a few days ago. But it was was the same day that Jonathan Gold passed. Yeah, it was was a a really rough, a really bad day in L.A. yeah, but people were saying, like, the only place you can find information about this right now is, like, on Twitter, you know? Well, I mean, I think that's the one thing about L.A. coverage is that you can find a lot of good stuff in a hyper, hyper local sense. You know, I mean, the East Sider was covering it. The East Sider yeah. covers just a small group of neighborhoods. I and still then follow these, the East Sider. <laughs> oh, I know. You got to. They're yeah. friendly East Sider. But I think one of the great things, just going back to Jonathan Gold, um, I didn't start—like, I, I was looking at the L.A. Weekly for, like, just mostly— the like creepy porn and the like terrifying <laughs> news stories. I was like, 
death murder like yeah. it's free paper well, back when like Gary Fink used to ride on it too that's like, like, yeah yeah <laughs> those are my stops but I after Molly was like oh you know Jonathan Gold emailed me I looked him up and I was like this is this is amazing so I came to him kind of late it was only 10 years ago but um I mean I think one of the best things that he did was to push you out of your neighborhood and out of you know your regular haunts and and to you know I probably wouldn't have gone to the San Gabriel Valley 10 years ago to just be like, oh, I just want to try like this little restaurant. It's like a 40 minute drive. I'm just going to go and try it or like going, you know, driving to Encino and like, you know, taking the time to kind of like find these places that he would recommend. Oftentimes I thought he was wrong. I'm just going to say it. I was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. You're not going to have the like blood cubes or whatever. (laughs) Not going to have the blood cubes. I think it was, I think I even can blame him for pie and burger, which I still, I love pie and burger. Everyone does but me, but look, I'm going to, it's my hill to die Pie and burger is one of those places I only know of because of Jonathan Golden. I've never eaten there, but I'm just like, that's like, I know that name because of him. (laughs) Well, you would like the vibe anyway, because it's really Twin Peaks. The vibe is great. Yeah. But well, I, I don't think. I mean, I so I, I was saying like coming there as a newcomer to the city, but not having a lot of money and and just like yeah. also not being honestly that psyched about Los Angeles when I moved there. I like, oh, I've how told, the tables have turned. I told you guys and I've told you guys, you know, like I, I thought that I was going to move to New York and I was going to go to film school in New York. And that did not end up happening. I ended up coming to L.A. instead. And so I definitely had a period of like. It's so spread out, like every single complaint that everybody's ever had about L.A. And I think that Jonathan Gold's writing, which I immediately just like, I can't remember not reading it as soon as I got there. I think there was something where when it's something as kind of um, uh, deceiving, deceivingly minute as food or or contained as food, you can find it. It's It's more approachable. So it's like I can't learn everything about everything in Los Angeles and the entire history of it. But I can start by learning about the food and yeah, what food exactly. you can get in each neighborhood and and what these different cultures are that like have formed this history, this like food history in these different areas of Los Angeles. And that kind of became a way for me to make sense of what arriving there was just like this hodgepodge and I posted uh I posted his review of Okie Dog which I've always loved I always remember the line about like not being able to eat it unless you have the tum of a 16 year old but that's <laughs> kind of like how I felt about Los Angeles moving there it's like it was so overwhelming I ate so much junk food and horrible stuff like Okie Dog and every single hot dog in Los Angeles I think at some point and uh and kind of found a way to find the joy and being like overwhelmed by the unfamiliar. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like he and I talked about it because we were both locals. And it's like one of the things I loved about the way he wrote was that he didn't write about Los Angeles uh, to address like an he didn't write about it in a way that's like for people who don't know or he wasn't like trying to convince you that it's good. He's like everybody who lives here who's like a regular person knows it's good. It's only people who come from other places and like tell us what they think it's like in an annoying way it's like yeah yeah we know there's a lot of like people who want to be actors but there's also a lot of people who are just like regular working class people who live all over Los Angeles and food is like a way that people you know bond and socialize well speaking of that speaking of how people can I I just say something really hatery really quickly and I'll keep this all I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys who I'm talking about when I when we go off the air I was talking to somebody who lives partially in Los Angeles. And um, we were talking about Jonathan Gold. And she has a job in the entertainment business. 
and said that nobody that she worked with, who are all people who came out there to work in the entertainment business somewhat recently in the last few years, uh, none of them knew who Jonathan Gold was uh, and didn't understand why he was important. And this is just like, again, like he contains this microcosm of every single problem or thing that that is in Los Angeles, because that just made me feel like if you don't know who Jonathan Gold is like you're not you're you don't care about living in Los Angeles. I feel like like especially being a privileged person with a uh, in, in entertainment industry income, you're not going to find out about like you're not going to go and no. read some of his old columns or something. Like I feel yeah, like a lot of rich people who move to LA aren't interested in like in participating in LA or yeah. participating. They just want to turn it into like what they want it to be. Yeah. Which is why then when like the hills are on fire and they're like, we didn't move to New right. York for this. I'm always like, go home, go back, yeah. don't go, come here, go, don't come here. Yeah. But also, don't come here. We're full. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Emily, you Let's can take come back. Let's take a night back. call. Let's take a <laughs> night call. Gotta take a night call. About food. Yes. Hey, night call ladies. It's 8.44 p.m. in hot Austin, Texas, and I've got a question for you. My name is Maggie, and I just found out what mukbang is. M-U-K-B-A-N-G. It might be mukbang. And I want to know what you girls think of it. Because I think it's horrifying. <laughs> and I also feel that it's a tool that anorexics could use to, you know, essentially get their fix without eating food. Um, yeah. So if you guys can weigh in on mukbang or mukbang, I appreciate that. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Had you guys heard about mukbang or mukbang before? No, I had but not. I... <laughs> But I've heard of like I, th- I feel like, like eating feeder, videos or feeder porn. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I want to say first I don't think that it would be something that you would use for eating disorders because like doesn't seeing someone eat just make you want to eat? Like when people see someone smoke on screen, it makes them want to smoke. It doesn't make them go like ah. Got so you're my saying name. it's not thinspo? No, right. it's like the opposite. It's of like the thinspo. opposite. Yeah, I think I think uh, I, when I when I saw that she I, before I looked it up, I thought that she was talking about one of these like kinds of um, calorie free noodles that you can get. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. Zoodles. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I was thinking it was like that kind of thing that just fills up your stomach. But no, it's it's so so. Can somebody it's people eating this? like a grip of spaghetti right on camera on camera with and it's streamed live too, right? right. Like, and people, but it's not it's not competitive eating. It's like just people doing like a live stream, like a Twitch of them eating. Well, this on on the Wikipedia it says that. Um, the hosts call themselves BJs, broadcast yeah. jockeys, and they interact with people who are watching the broadcast through chatting. BJ, BJs sometimes claim to be the audience's avatar and will exactly follow what people ask them to do. So in that sense, I kind of could see someone with an eating disorder be like, stuff yourself, like eat pizza. Like I could see that. Well, that's feeder porn, right? It is feeder porn. I mean, is everything that involves live streaming yourself like a form of cam girling? I am... I mean, how far do you want to stretch the definition? I mean, I think it's not like how is it different from like somebody being like, here's me playing video games, like watch me play video games, which like tons of people watch. I mean, I remember when I was uh, when I worked at a camera store and one of my uh, one of my coworkers would like borrow the cameras on the weekend to help his friend shoot these videos. I think he did some for Suicide Girls, which dates this. But um where it was just, like, videos of girls smoking. Like, that was it. 
Okay, well, that's a fetish. So I'm sure there's people yeah. who have a fetish for, like, girls eating. But this doesn't even sound like it's just hot girls. No, it's, it's just, every, like, random No, it's just whomever. They said it was, like, for people who live alone and are lonely and want to, like, feel like they're sharing meals with somebody. Right. I mean, to be fair, when I was in college and I was living by myself, which was great, uh, but I would cook and then I would eat. And I was like, it felt like I had to either be like watching TV yeah. or on the internet because you're like, it's kind of weird to just, just like sit, and, sit focus. and focus. It's like too much focus. So I could see how like, you know, if you just set it up like a bunch of people eating with like all their webcams, just like we're all sitting down <laughs> eating, having a virtual potluck. I like, think a lot of people also just like to have that sort of parasocial company if you are alone, which is why people like leave the TV on. Right, that's why people but, like, that's why Twitch is so popular. It's, it's also like yeah. people like podcasts exactly hey hey. it's that thing too of being like they are speaking just to me and then but we are also this will come up again in our final topic for today i was gonna say yeah yeah. (laughs) but (laughs) but we when we were doing girls in hoodies we would get some super creeps who would just be like i like your cough do you remember that? Yeah. People who were like, I like it when you clear your throat. And I was well, like, ugh, don't worst, like that. Those were all the YouTube comments, though. Yeah. That's the, the things yeah. wonderful like, nature. I didn't of- even know you could sexualize like somebody like sneezing, but like, of course you can. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if people like were into eating videos for reasons other than just wanting to have a friend to eat with. I right. think biological functions can be really big triggers for people who don't have a lot of like really intimate time with other people. Like if you're not in a close relationship with somebody or living with your family, I think that sometimes hearing, like if you happen to be standing in a train or something and you hear somebody cough or you hear somebody sniffle or something, sometimes it can be alarming because you're just like, oh my God, I haven't heard another human sound in, in a second. <laughs> right. I think especially um, in like bigger cities too. In um, in college, there was this girl who wrote an op-ed for the paper that was called Touch the Loneliest in Most Abstract Sense. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that after the podcast, Molly. <laughs> I just, I always think about it. It was like, you know, a girl's like freshman year like yeah. essay about like, sometimes you just touch someone's hand and like, isn't it weird to touch someone? I totally Totally agree. I'm not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) No, she was saying you crave it so badly that then when you get it, you're like, why can't I have this? Today's episode is sponsored by Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within seven days, their community of professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift you can give. So I don't know if you guys remember, but... Uh, Molly and Emily and I got to make a song with Songfinch uh, a while ago, and I think I can say that it remains maybe like one of the best (laughs) online buying experiences of our lives. Yeah, it's the best service anyone's ever used. I've recommended it to so many people because I don't feel like there's anything like it. It's I've listened to our song Probably a hundred times. Yeah, it's such a good gift idea because yeah. it's very funny and you can listen to it again yeah, and again. Yeah, it's funny and good. And I mean, that what we asked for was something that was like funny, casual and silly. 
But I can imagine, you know, going all sorts of other directions. Yeah, they'll really, whatever you want, they will do for you. You basically give some information about what kind of song you want, either for yourself or for a gift, for a friend. You can give names, information. You basically work with this songwriter um, to make you a personalized song. And then it lives on its own URL on the Songfinch page. So you can download it, visit it. Whenever the tide uh, pulls you there, Um, you can read all your lyrics, learn about your songwriter. Our songwriter was really, really cool. And we're going to play a clip from our song in a minute so you guys get a sense of how awesome it is. Um, But, yeah, they have a bunch of different options. The foundation option is $99. But um, So today we are offering our listeners $20 off their personalized song from scratch. There are a bunch of different options on Songfinch. So the personalized song from scratch is what we chose. You use promo promo code CALL at songfinch.com to redeem it, and then you just Get started on making your own amazing song. Yeah. It's a great birthday present. It's a really, it's a good wedding present. It yeah. is. Um, really good for like Mother's Day or Father's Day. Yeah. There's and really a lot of things that you might need a song for. And yeah. Song Finch is here. A bad day. A bad day. You could do a, a really sad song about your friend's <laughs> bad day. Yeah. Just, just make her cheer feel someone up with a song. Um, do you guys want to hear a part of our song? Yeah. Play it. Play it. It still holds up. It's Man. still pretty much the best song ever it's written. Pretty much the best song anyone's ever heard. Just doing research. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, we're big. We're huge. We're Songfinch heads over here. So again, go to songfinch.com, enter the promo code CALL, and get $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Maybe she should watch more eating videos. Yeah, exactly. Saying. Guys, should we, would we do an eating video? Absolutely. How much? Let's 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 sell to the who highest bidder. Who wants to sponsor it? Who wants to spawn it? Who wants to sponsor it? Sugarfish. Email us your own. Yeah. yeah, we're probably opening think, ourselves up to a world of. of you know of what? Though right I don't think if we get an indecent proposal that somebody is like, eat this ramen for a million dollars, we're all going to do it. Well, we have to make sure it's not poisoned, and then I'm oh, down. Oh, speaking yeah. of eating, of consuming things that turn out to be poisoned. Oh yes, let's, we also sorry to bother you. Let's have a chat. Let's about have a chat. About this movie. Um, so sorry to bother you. It is still in the process of being rolled out to multiple heaters. So uh, check your local listings. It's working it, its way across yeah. this land. Yeah, spreading like a it. disease, which I love. It, I mean, it really is. Like I, so it's a film by Boots Riley, who it's his first film, but he's a musician and he has a band called The Coup. Bay Area guy, super progressive, lefty, socialist type dude. Um, and I have never. I think maybe since Get Out, and I, I hate it. There's already like been a, a controversy about 
comparing the two. Like, obviously, we can have two wildly creative debut films by black directors uh, and we don't have to compare them directly to each other. But just in terms of like how much I've had people G chat me or text me and say, oh, my God, I saw Sorry to Bother You, just like out of the blue, people I haven't talked to for a really long time. It's like, like a viral movie. Everybody is. who sees it tells everybody else to go see yeah. it. I saw it this weekend and the theater was totally packed. Yeah, and it was too. just exciting that this movie was getting a packed theater. I mean, yeah, I think it's a very different movie from Get Out. Um, but it is also sort of a horror comedy, uh, a dark satire yeah. of what is going on. What's crazy to me is that apparently he wrote the screenplay in 2011. Yeah, yeah. but it feels it like... Sweeney's. Like, yes, in 2014. Yeah. And that was after, I, I think there was a New York Times article about it that it sounds like we've all maybe read. But he was, um, he wrote the screenplay and then he snuck into a like Napa food and wine private event because he wanted to give it to like Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> sure. And then he, Vigo was like, no. Ooh, and then he emailed. That's a, that's a stain co- on no. Vigo's resume. Well, he may have been like, I don't know, because I think like nobody, you know, and, and Boots Riley has been like, I didn't expect anyone to take it because it's like if a musician's like, hey, I have a screenplay, like everyone should run away. But then after Vigo passed, he emailed Colin Firth's wife um, because I guess maybe Colin Firth was a fan of the coup. And Colin Firth was like, I don't know. And then he I think the first person he got was David Cross because they did a benefit together. And David Cross was like, I'll do it. And, and then David he got- Cross needs this so badly. <laughs> <laughs> and, really? Yeah. And then Patton Oswalt. And then uh, and then Dave Eggers like uh, made it published the screenplay as a book for McSweeney's in 2014. And now it's here. But it feels as though it could have. Hap- like it feels as though someone wrote this like last month. Well, all you this know? stuff has been happening for a long time. Well, yeah, I think, I think one of the, point. the ma- amazing things I've seen him say on Twitter, like he's a good follow on Twitter right now, even though most of it is him retweeting people who are like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry to bother you." But he is answering some people's questions, and it's pretty interesting. And one thing was somebody asked him, like, "Did you write in that there were these ten cities all over Oakland?" Because like that's a thing now. But I know that you wrote the script a long time ago, and he was like, mm-hmm. originally it was sort of like a oh five years into the future kind of postal apocalyptic type thing and then it was like well no they actually just like ended up being there and we used the actual tent cities that are in Oakland oh I just assumed they had tent cities in Oakland always right because we do in Los Angeles I think I think that they're more all like there are more of them now from what I understand the Bay Area is obviously they have all the same problems that LA has in and they're bringing bringing some of them here now with tech and stuff Mm -hmm. uh but you know, this was the movie about tech that needed to be made. Yeah. Uh, I was so stoked coming out of it. And I was like, somebody made a postmodernist movie about something. Yeah. yeah. You know? Because yeah. I was like, I was like, it reminded me of some other things like that, of like being John Malkovich and stuff. But I was like, not, all of those movies were just about like, you know, man pain. Mm-hmm. And this is like a movie that actually has like a point yeah. and a purpose. And it uses all those techniques but it all feels very just like, yeah, it's like one degree removed from how insane everything is. And yeah. then, uh, yeah. And it's just it, creative. It just, like, I mean, it, it's really, I think, I think pulling off the thing where you do have a point to make and you are making a statement and a very political statement, but mm-hmm. also being really creative and... And, and funny. Yeah. Funny and like staying light on your feet and continuing. Yeah. That's like a hard thing to pull off, I think. It's a super hard thing to pull off. I mean, all the performances are so great. 
I love Tessa Thompson. I would so watch much. her in anything. Oh I think the best line in it is when they're, when uh, he's in, he's introducing her. Her name is Detroit, and they were like Det- the other people in the car, are like Detroit. And she's like, my parents wanted to name me something that sounded American, you know. <laughs> and I was like, wow, it's that's just perfect. And obviously, all of the names are are puns. All the names are good. There, isn't there also at some point um, in like a propaganda video? It's it's like directed by Michelle Dongri, yeah, yeah. Michelle which Dongry. is like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too felt like sort of like it was like a move, like just a huge leap forward for that kind of like postmodern jokey. Exactly. Everything's, you know, movie, movie. Yeah. But I feel like something. Yeah, I feel like we shouldn't give too much weight. I I saw somebody tweeting the other day. No plot points. The other day there was like, what's the the, uh, expiration date on talking about the ending of Sorry to Bother You? Because it is, it does have an insane ending that I somehow managed to partially forget until the trailer started coming out for its theatrical release because I saw this at yeah. Sundance and then I was mm-hmm. like I I was totally I mean it was t- one of my favorite films there obviously and I remember a lot of the, like there was kind of a muted reaction among not everybody I mean a lot of people there were very stoked on it but there were a lot of people who were like it's too much for me and I'm like I feel like though like we want this much Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had kind of, for whatever reason, I guess just time, like f- forgotten or made myself forget about the ending of it, and then I remembered it a month before and just started laughing to myself because it's so yeah. insane. I was like um, laughing my brains out the whole movie, and not just because when I first walked into the theater, they were showing the trailer for A Star Is Born, and I went like, "Ha!" <laughs> which is like, eh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't wait for that movie. I don't know. What no, you guys me neither. I was just laughing through the. I know the trailer's just amazing. I hadn't seen it big, and I was just laughing so hard yeah. when Bradley Cooper shows up, looking all, looking all Chris Christopherson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, everybody was, should go out and see. Sorry to everybody bother go you. See it. It's also a real. I mean, I, I rarely go to the theater to see movies on opening weekend. Yeah, and this, I was very glad I did because it was great to see it with a crowd, and everybody should go see it. Yeah. And then and send stay. us your night calls about it. Don't don't leave the theater right away. Yeah. Because yeah. that happened in yeah. my theater. And I was like, no. Yeah. Don't I, do it. I hate to have to say that Army Hammer was amazing. He was. Why do you well, he's so great? I know, but you know, I, he's, he's been he's been difficult. And then I was like, <laughs> God damn it, he's yeah. perfect in he this. Was. Yeah. Um speaking of group experiences. Speaking of, speaking of having a, a TV family that you feels as real as real people, um, I I wanted to talk about Terrace House before I left because I had just gotten into it and was like, what is this thing that I've been watching? And it's now, your Vanderpump rules. It kind of has become that. I feel like it's my Made in Chelsea um, for yeah. you. It's it's a little chiller than, than Vanderpump rules. I think Vanderpump rules definitely has more of like a – uh, that it's got that cokey glaze on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. People <laughs> yell at each other. Made in Chelsea is like people are very polite because they're so posh and British. They would never like raise their voices, you yeah. know. So even when they're being very mean, they're like, "You're a cunt in it." <laughs> no, they would never say "in it" because that's not posh. Um, um, but so Terrace House, which I I think the week that this comes out, there will be new episodes on Netflix. So you have enough time. To binge watch the first two parts of the current season, opening new doors. Um, and Terrace House is a reality show, a Japanese reality show that is on Netflix. And it is also, I think, broadcast on Fuji TV in Japan. 
You and Brian Phillips are the only people I know who watch it, but you both watch it so much. Or no, uh, Lindsay Weber too. Lindsay Weber, and yeah. I mean, I, I I know a handful of people who do. Uh, yeah, Brian Phillips has been posting a lot of like Terrace House gifs as they relate to soccer, which I feel like is a very specific Venn diagram. <gasps> there are so many. There's a really really good. Um, Twitter account that's Terrace House out of context that just has the subtitles, like especially of the commentators. So, so I'll, I'll explain the show for those who haven't seen it. It's just a reality show about um, they they explain the premise in every episode. Like six people are are chosen picked to, to live, live in a house. Picked to live in a house. All they provide what is happens. the house and two cars. And basically, people just live their normal lives, like including having jobs. They don't give them money. They just give them a place to live. They have to buy their own groceries and stuff. Um, but, you know, they get to live in this fabulous house and be on TV. And um, it's uh, it, the so it's about uh, 30, 40 minutes per episode. And the seasons, instead of just having one cast that stays there the entire time, people can decide to leave at certain points and then they're replaced by somebody else. So it's kind of the feeling of like actually living in a house with housemates and then somebody decides to move out and then you get a new roommate and. And they is each, it oh, is it boring? <laughs> well, you are kind of amused by it when you start watching it because you're like, wow, this is so chill. Like, I I love what counts for a conflict in this. You know, like like somebody is gossiping about how somebody's hot pot isn't as good as they expected it to be, or something. Um, like very very low stake stuff. But then I think because it's almost like by turning down the volume, you start to be attuned to these little subtle dynamics and personality traits that I think that normally you don't get to really think about in much noisier and edited um, right. reality shows. It sounds like it really replicates the stress of living in like a co-op yes. environment yes. with like five people. And I hate, like I, I, I have had roommates in the past. Not all of the experiences have been terrible, but in general, having grown up as an only child, it's incredibly stressful to me. I think, I feel yeah. like you can relate Tess to this. is also like, not a fan. Yeah, it's... But- it's just a lot, like even the slightest thing, like that feeling of like somebody looked at me weird as I went up to my room after the kitchen. Like, I bet they hate me. I bet they're thinking about me and how much they wish I would move out and they're gossiping I about was, me. Um, yeah. I was watching Interview with the Vampire the other day and I was like, this movie's about cohabitating yeah. <laughs> for like hundreds of years and how that's what it's like to live with people. Yeah. It's just like weird. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's like in real roommate situations, the things that bother you aren't necessarily like the big crazy things. It's like some weird little annoying thing somebody does over and over again. And eventually you're like, I'm going to kill this person. Right. It's when people leave glasses of water all over the house and then deny that it's their oh. glass of water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm the instance. person in my relationship who does that. I do that, Because <laughs> I need new water at But it's so weird place. because then every room in these in the corner of every room is like this glass of water. You have no idea when it's from. Right. Like that seems like a real terrace housey conflict because right. it's like... So oh, no, you were so they clean the glasses up. You of know water. they're cleaning up after themselves. Like the water thing, I feel like is very. Specific. But just even, oh, even that, no, even no, that thing slugs. Like, I'm, so I, I'm, really? I watched the. I'm so the current season takes place in this like semi-rural, like kind of ski resort type town. But then I went back and I'm watching Boys and Girls in the City, which is two seasons earlier, and just takes place in Tokyo and. Those kids are like there have been waves of it, but like they tend to mess, trend very sloppy, messy and, millennials. Yeah, I feel like there was a shift after maybe Jersey Shore. No shade to our friend Nicole, who I love, but um, of the like the grossness of the living spaces yeah. in Jersey Shore, eventually just started 
stressing me out so badly. And then I felt like I noticed a shift of maybe other reality stars being like, oh, I can't be that gross. Like things <laughs> got cleaned up. If you think of early real world, too, it was like real right, gross. Right, because that is what happens when six people are picked to live in a house. Yeah. It's like it's the tragedy of the commons. So, Everybody's like somebody else was supposed to clean the living room. Right. So, so no so one ever does. Discussion of like house cleanliness makes me want to talk about if, if since we don't have a lot of time, but I just want to highlight this character that has been really on my mind lately. And she left the show recently and where I am in Boys and Girls in the City. Her name's Natsumi. She's an aspiring actress from Osaka. Shout out to Osaka. And uh she Does she bring the drama? She does. And I was so refreshed by her because everybody on this season had been kind of boring up until when she showed up. And I was like, oh, she's fun. She's like a little more like direct with people and tells them that they need to clean up like on her first day and all this other stuff. And I've been reading the Reddit for Terrace House as I go through this and trying to protect myself from spoilers and realize that like almost everybody thinks that she's just an, an, a complete sociopath. And her last, her last uh, kind of blowout before she leaves is genuinely scary. She has this thing where she gets drunk, and you can see like this rage thing turn on in her, where it's like it's like her personality leaves her body, and the commentators that like comment throughout the episode, which is the other reason why the show oh, is amazing. Oh, that's so weird. There's commentators. Yeah, no, it's incredible. It is the smartest thing. It it makes it so that you really feel like you could binge five episodes because you have a break because you're like right, talking so, like, to your friends oh, about the show. Are they gonna- are they going to wash that dish or what? We'll find out. <laughs> no, it's it's really, yeah, it's so addictive. But anyway, I, I actually, like, talked to my therapist about Nachan Natsumi because I was, like, I had this, like, experience where I was, like, oh, finally, somebody who, fe- like, I feel like I can, like, get with her. Like, I understand her thought process. Like, everything she did, even if it was bad, made total sense to me. And then everybody was like, she's a sociopath. She's a psycho. (laughs) Well, you know, some people just don't like a bossy lady. Yeah, true. And it sounds like she came in with a strong personality. And some people just didn't like that there was a type A, a type A lady. But it it is interesting because in reality shows, it's not always the leader types who succeed. Tess as the world's uh, foremost scholar on Survivor. Yes. It's true. Well, if you bring too much attention to yourself yeah. in a competitive situation, yeah. then you're putting a target on your back. Molly. Right. It's often like the people that you think are going to win or yeah. like be the best at it, like they are perceived as threatening by other people and exactly. taken down. And it's the person who like is behind the scenes stirring the pot and being like, you go, you should be mad at them for this. That right. generally ends up succeeding. But that's on a, on a like, vote them out kind of. Yeah. It, you There's don't no vote people out of territory. There's yeah. no, yeah. But people will kind of decide it's their time to go usually when but the they don't have don't a boyfriend or girlfriend and they have are not interested in anybody else in the house or, like, their romantic prospects are over. It sounds kind of like the Japanese version of the sh- long forgotten favorite starting over house that I feel like I've talked that. about on podcasts. Oh, no, what's that? Just when people wanted to start over and they'd all move together into this house and then when they felt like they had like their shit together and they'd figured out was a new it path like a out. halfway house? No, it was starting over. Just like house. people at, at, at pivotal <laughs> was, moments in their lives. I mean, that is yeah, kind just, of what Terrace House is, except it's mostly 20 somethings. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've heard we should all watch Love Island. Oh, yeah, I'll watch Love Island. Richard Lawson has been saying Love Island. He just has been doing tweets that are like straight people are insane. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that sounds good. I agree. We should watch Love Island. (laughs) Do you guys remember a show, another like mostly forgotten reality show called Forever Eden? 
Yes. Tess I, knows all about I, this. I didn't I didn't watch much of it, but it there's still a seed of whatever it was. <laughs> that was into like my curious house in that it like kind of theoretically never ends. Like, it just keeps, I mean, it did end because it wasn't very yeah. popular. <laughs> Nobody watched it. But <laughs> the premise was that that uh, it would just keep going until everybody found hey, love and hooked yep. up. You know I was a big fan of Utopia. Uh, oh yeah, Utopia too. And when they canceled Utopia, I was like, I hope they just keep living on this commune. And then we find them like 20 years later and they've just made a society outside society. <laughs> you guys, we have to wrap it up. But I'm thinking that because we're talking about this, that we should ask our call, our our listeners to be our callers and call 24046-NIGHT with your favorite reality shows, uh, whether or not there could be a reality show that goes on forever. and Whether if you or not watched, Natsumi is a sociopath. And yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if, you, if you've watched Terrace House, is Natsumi a sociopath? Oh, and what you would like to see us eat and for how much money. Yeah, <laughs> mukbang, we're taking bits. We're taking bits on the mukbang. I don't like blue cheese or olives, so those are off the table. Molly doesn't eat meat, but she will eat fish. I don't know, Emily, dietary restraint. You don't like cheese either, Emily. I can't have cheese, but everything else is All right. pretty much well, everything else is okay. All these rules are off the table if the price is If high the price is right, we can <laughs> yeah. uh, throw it all at us. Thank you so um, much for listening. You can give us yeah. a call at 124046night with your night call. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And thank you, as always, to our producer, Ben Hosley here at Yes, Audio thank Brown. you, Ben. And we'll see awesome. everybody next week. See you later. Bye. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.